Welcome to Leading Lights. You're about to hear a message from Lighthouse Church. Hello Church. Today is Mother's Day and we love the mothers that God has given us. Every single person in the world has a mother. Not everyone knows their mother as well as they would like to. But I want to show you today that God gave us mothers, that mothers reflect an aspect of God's heart, and that we as the church should be involving mothers and portraying the motherly side of the heart of God better. I believe we have a lack there and we should use it more. There is this resource of mothers. You know, Jesus said in Mark chapter 10, that no one who has left mothers and all these different family members and lands and houses for the kingdom will not receive a hundredfold more in this life and a reward in eternal life. And what he was saying is that the church is supposed to have, for every one mother you have in the natural, you're supposed to have a hundred in the body of Christ. And I feel like we're missing out on that. We have this resource, these beautiful ladies with the heart of God that have all these gifts that God has put inside of them that perhaps have felt unappreciated or they've been too busy with other things or they think my role is not in the church. And I want to say to you, mums, we need you. We need you. Paul wrote a letter to the Romans and at the end he's greeting all the important people and the people who are close to his heart and one of those that he greets is Rufus's mother, Rufus and Rufus's mother. And he says that Rufus's mother is his own mother. And what he was saying is that in churches around the world, Paul had people who he considered just as close as his own family members. And I'm praying for that for us. So God made mothers. Did you know that? In the beginning, Genesis chapter 1 and verse 27, God says, Let us make man in our own image. And so it says, In the image of God, He created him, male and female, He created them. Let me repeat that. In the image of God, He created man, male and female, He created them. So the image of God includes the male and the female. It's not true to say that God is just male. He has female attributes and characteristics which he put into Adam and Eve. Only the two together represent God correctly. I've seen that in my own life. The love, the compassion, the the care that I've received from God, I can only really attribute to a motherly characteristic. We need the father aspect of God without a doubt. We need a God who is going to tell us when we're wrong, who is going to push us out of the nest and say, go and do something great. We need all the the fatherly aspects of God and and the direction that, that a father often gives, but we also need the motherly. And I think it's sad and probably an attack from the devil that the world tries to tell us that there's no difference between men and women and mothers and fathers because actually God has put separate characteristics. They are not better or worse. They are important and we need both. Amen. We need both. Just a couple of points for you to help you understand this. The word for compassion or mercy in the Old Testament is the same word as womb that creates children. And so that's definitely the the 
motherly aspect of God. This word compassion or mercy, God uses it to describe himself. He says he's merciful or full of compassion. In Isaiah 49, God says, Can a woman forget her nursing child and not have compassion on the son of her womb? Surely they may forget, yet I will not forget you. See, I have inscribed you on the palms of my hands. That's the motherly aspect of God. And when Jesus came into Jerusalem, there are two times where we read of him coming in to Jerusalem. One of them is in Luke chapter 19. It says, as he drew near, he saw the city and he wept over it. Jesus weeping over the city of Jerusalem. And then in Matthew 23, it's recorded that Jesus comes into Jerusalem and he says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her, how often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. Jesus displayed God's mother heart for Jerusalem. You can't avoid the fact that a hen gathering her chicks under her wings is a motherly act. And Jesus looks at Jerusalem. I, I know that there are mothers listening to me today who can relate to this. There is a breaking in your heart when you see pain in your children. You know, mothers want to gather just like a hen gathers her chicks, mothers want to gather. They always want to get the family together and keep the family together. Why don't you visit? Come around for a meal. Come and stay with us. Let's have family gatherings. Mothers have that in them to gather, but they also have it in them to protect, to nourish, to heal. And that's exactly what Jesus felt in this case. He says, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. He sees them going in different directions, rejecting the prophets and, and doing things that God doesn't want. He says, I want it. I had this longing, this motherly longing in my heart to gather you and to heal you and restore you and bring you back to where you should be. But you were not willing. And I know that there are mothers here today and you've had your heart broken by seeing your children making decisions that were not good or being hurt by other people and you couldn't protect them. And there is a heartache within you. I want to say to you, mums, that God understands that. And that heartache is from God. He puts that within you. You know, in Romans chapter 8, the passage from verse 18 to 26, 27, talks about the groaning. It says that creation is groaning because it's not how God wants it to be. It says that we who are believers and have the Spirit of God within us are groaning because the world is not how it should be. And then the third groaning, it says the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know how we ought to pray, but He intercedes for us with groanings that words cannot express. And that's the prayer aspect where God's heart of groaning, this motherly wish for his people and for his creation, where we express it in prayer. And so the first thing I want to say to mothers, but to all of us and to the church at large, is we should have this, this pain, this longing that Jesus had, and we should express it in prayer. We should be praying and know that that groaning is not just yours, it's God's heart. It's God's groaning. The Holy Spirit groans within us with words,
and groanings that are not our normal language. They, they are speaking in tongues. They are just noises that we make in prayer. They're crying. They're weeping. And those prayers are extremely powerful and important. I read a book when I was a brand new Christian, and it talked about travailing in prayer. And it likened prayer to a woman in labor and how you have pain and you, and you pray and you pray and then you give birth to something in the spirit realm. When you've prayed it through, when you've linked your will up with God's will, you've prayed His heart, you've had your heart broken for the world around you and you pray and you travail and you labor and it feels like you're giving birth and then eventually there's an answer given and you see things change around you. The first thing I want to say, mothers but also the church, we should be having this desire, this longing for people around us to know God, to see the pain, to want them gathered and to pray for them. The second thing, though, is this very amazing thing, which surprises me. But when I look at it more closely, I realize how beautiful and wonderful God is. It says, Jesus said, I wanted to gather you, but you were not willing. God gives his children free will. His heart breaks for them, making wrong decisions. He guides them and, and leads them, especially in the Old Testament. He used laws because they didn't have a clue. They were so lost that he used laws and punishments. But now in the New Testament, he puts a spirit within us and he guides us and he leads us. But he gives us free choice. And right from the beginning of the Bible, through every book of the Bible, God gives free choice. He says, I, I present to you life and death, blessing, cursing, choose life. But he leaves it up to them to choose. Jesus said to Jerusalem, I, I long to gather you. I don't want you to have this pain. I don't want you to go through the consequences of your sin. I can see the path that you're on, and it's a path that leads to pain and heartache and eventually to separation from God. And Jesus said, I longed. He weeps. I longed to gather you. But you were not willing. He doesn't force them. He gives them the choice. You know, God respects human beings' choice so highly. And we as humans should respect the free choice that other people have. And for you and me as parents, if you're a mother, me as a father, I feel this pain often. When I look at my children making bad decisions, praise the Lord, usually they come right. But there is this pain of wanting to force them to do what I think they should do. And I want to say to you that if you're a good parent, you'll be like God, like Jesus was here, where he expresses his desire. He prays, he groans, he's sad, but he allows them to make their own choices. And that is a sign that our children are growing up where we no longer make their choices for them. They are allowed to make their choices. And we say, I will love you, whatever choice you make, but... I will tell you, there will be consequences and I will try and help you if you choose to make the right decisions. We need to give freedom to our families. You know, a family that is controlled and where the parents make everybody do what they want is not a free family. It's not a happy family. It's okay when the children are very small because they don't know. But as the children grow up, we need to allow them to make their own mistakes and to make their own choices and love them anyway, but show them if we don't agree. And I hope that helps someone today. And I just want to show you how the church can be and should be expressing the mother heart of God a bit better. 
You know, we use the Great Commission as our goal in church. We as a church, our local church, the Great Commission is what we are looking at as our task and our goal. And it's in Matthew 28. Jesus says, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, teaching them. And lo, I am with you always to the very end of the age. And sometimes we make the mistake of thinking that the Great Commission is just about evangelism. We think the Great Commission means go and have crusades or do street witnessing and get people saved. And then you just leave them, you drop them. Many of us have mistakenly thought the Great Commission is only about evangelism, about running around, getting people saved, and then leaving them. And I want to show you that the Great Commission is not that at all. It is a gathering commission. It is a caring, nurturing, nourishing, developing, motherly commission. Jesus, in Matthew chapter 9, it says in verse 35, Then Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. So that's the classical evangelism type model of doing the Great Commission. You're going from city to city. You're preaching, you're healing, you're trying to get people saved. You're telling people about the gospel of the kingdom. There is a new king. Jesus is the king. He's come to overturn and overthrow Satan as king of your life. And look, he heals and he blesses and he forgives. That's what Jesus did. But in verse 36, the very next verse, it says, But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them, because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. <laughs> Jesus wanted to gather them. Let me read that again. When he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion. It's not just about having a meeting, getting a whole bunch of people saved, and then we don't know their names. We don't know anything about them. We don't know what the future holds for them. We say, well, if they got saved, God will bring them up as baby believers. No, no. Jesus was moved with compassion, and he said they are weary and scattered or vulnerable like sheep having no shepherd. And he said to his disciples, the harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Jesus prayed for us to send out laborers, but not just evangelists. And even that term evangelist, I'm going to maybe shake your preconceptions a little bit here. We think the modern idea of an evangelist is somebody who jets into a place, they hold a big meeting, they preach the gospel, maybe do signs and wonders, a whole bunch of people get saved, and then they leave and somebody else picks up the pastoral care. And I want to say that's not what I see in the New Testament. Philip the evangelist in Acts chapter 8 went into Samaria and great signs and wonders and and conversions occurred. Many, many people got saved. Then he calls Peter and John from Jerusalem. The apostles come. They pray for them to be filled with the Spirit. And there is a pastoral element there. But what I want to show you is that Philip, then he goes off and he witnesses to an Ethiopian eunuch, but then he's taken up and eventually he ends up in a place called Caesarea. 
And it's about 20 years later in Acts chapter 21, we see Paul and his associates come to Caesarea. It says in verse 8 of Acts 20, 21, On the next day, we who were Paul's companions departed, came to Caesarea and entered the house of Philip the evangelist, who was one of the seven and stayed with him. This man had four virgin daughters who prophesied. This evangelist, Philip, we have no record of him traveling around. He was based in a city, Caesarea, for years, for decades. And if I cross-reference this with Ephesians 4, which tells me that God has given apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, then I understand what evangelists are supposed to do. Listen to Ephesians 4. It says, he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. The job of an evangelist, as well as a prophet, apostle, pastor, teacher, is to equip the saints to do the ministry. So an evangelist equips people. He's a, a leader in a church who equips people to do evangelism. He's not someone who runs around. The Great Commission, go and make disciples of all nations, is not, is not telling us to go and make converts. It's telling us to make disciples, people who are studying and growing and learning. It says we must baptize them. That's what you do in a church context. It says we must teach them to obey everything God has commanded us. And that is a discipleship nurturing type of role. And so we see Jesus, he sees the multitudes, he has compassion, a motherly heart for them. And he prays for laborers to go out into the harvest field. And I want to suggest to you that rather than doing evangelism, hit and run type events, we should be setting up small groups, discipleship groups, planting churches, because that's what they did in the New Testament. There is nowhere else in the New Testament where we see any kind of evangelistic crusade. Paul and various other apostles would go into cities they would preach, but they would set up a congregation. They would appoint elders. They would ensure that that was a family that was nurtured and looked after. And the only other time the word evangelist appears is in Timothy, where Paul has sent Timothy to Ephesus again to lead this big church. And he tells him to teach, to appoint elders, to tell some people not to teach wrong doctrine. And he says, do the work of an evangelist. In other words, in your pastoral role, evangelism is part of training people up to be able to spread the gospel. Friends, this is what mothers do. And now I just want to close by saying to you, my dear friend, if you have even an inkling of this compassion in your heart for your children, or maybe you don't have children, but you can imagine having a child and wanting to care for it, wanting the best for it, knowing that there's a good path and trying to lead it into that good path. If you have that, that prayer that you would pray for those children, the way that you would sacrifice and do anything for them, you would give up your time, your sleep, your money, your convenience for your children. You want the best for them. You nourish them. You care for them. I want to say to you, my dear friend, have you realized that God has that heart for you? And much, much more, much, much more. You know, we saw Jesus saying he wants to gather his, his people like a hen gathers chicks under her wings. Friend, God wants to gather you. He loves you. He, his heart breaks for your pain. 
He cares so much about you. He's thinking about you all the time. He's written your name in the palm of his hand. Uh, he, he has this motherly concern for you. And just like Jesus wanted to gather the hen, the Bible talks about under God's wings quite a bit. We're told in Psalm 91 about the benefits of being under God's wings. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the, the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God, in Him I will trust. Surely He will deliver you from the snare of the fowler, from the perilous pestilence, which includes viruses. He shall cover you with His feathers, and under His wings you shall take refuge. His truth shall be your shield and buckler. You shall not be afraid of the terror by night, nor of the arrow that flies by day, nor of the pestilence that walks in the darkness, nor of the destruction that lays waste at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it shall not come near you. Only with your eyes shall you look and see the reward of the wicked. Because you have made the Lord, who is my refuge, even the Most High, your dwelling place, no evil shall befall you, nor shall any plague come near your dwelling. And it goes on to talk about how his angels will pr protect you. Friend, God cares for you. And I'm going to invite you now to run back into the arms of God. Yes, God is our father. We love him as father. We know him as father. He is a good father, a stable father, a dependable, trustworthy father. But I wonder if you've seen the motherly side of God's heart for you. I wonder if you've understood his compassion and his love. You may say, I don't deserve it. You may be like one of those rebellious children who's run away so far from their parent that you just feel, I can't come back. I, I can't be forgiven. And I want to tell you that God loves you and he wants you back. A mother will always take her children back. Do you remember what we read in Isaiah 49 verse 15? Can a woman forget her nursing child and not have compassion on the son of her womb. Surely they may forget, yet I will not forget you, says the Lord. See, I have inscribed you on the palms of my hands. Friend, God loves you. He can forgive you. He's paid the price for you to be forgiven. He wants to gather you. He wants you to be in a family of believers. You may have run away from the church, and I want to tell you that God has a family for you, a family of believers who are not perfect, they are just like you trying to find their way in God's purposes, but they are your family and God wants you planted in a family. He wants to nourish you. He wants to give you all the food and protection that you need. He wants to keep you safe. And especially in the church context, God puts the church there as a protection for us, but also he wants to give you healing. In Malachi 4 verse 2, it says, The Son of Righteousness shall arise with healing in his wings. And it's talking about Jesus. Jesus has healing in his wings. He's not just a hen who gathers, a hen who protects, a hen who nourishes. He also has healing in his wings. And I want to pray for you now. You may have read the story of the prodigal son running back to the father. I want to say to you that there is a motherly aspect as well. We don't hear about the mother in the story of the prodigal son. But if we're going to be accurate to God's word, God is also like a mother. And that mother would have taken the boy in, would have listened as he said, Oh, 
I messed it up. I gave away all my money and I spent it on bad living. I ended up in a pigsty eating pig swill and, and I was so silly and, and dad just took me back and he forgave me and the mother would have comforted him and had compassion on him and healed him and restored him. And I want to say to you, God wants to do that for you right now. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you that you have demonstrated in your word that you have male and female characteristics and that you want to be like a mother to your people. Lord, I want to say to you today that I have many times been a wayward child. I've gone the wrong way. I've made wrong choices. And I understand today your heart of compassion and love and forgiveness and care for me. And Lord, I want to come back. Lord, thank you for continuing to chase me, to love me, to want the best for me and for being willing to forgive me. And Lord, here I am. Please forgive me. Please wash me. Please put ointment and salve on my wounds. Please heal me inside and out. And Lord, please put me in a family where I can be nourished and protected and with others. Lord, I love you. I receive your forgiveness. Lord Jesus, I thank you in Jesus name. Amen. God bless you. Thanks for listening. Please visit leadinglightsnetwork.com for more resources and subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Please consider supporting this ministry by making a donation on the giving page at leadinglightsnetwork.com or lighthousejersey.com.